Hello, and welcome to Talking Eye Opinions. I am your host, Anthony Livingston Hall. I fully intended the episode titled Japan Bans All Spectators at 2020 Tokyo Olympics. Oh, the irony. From July 17 to be my only one on these games. But then, Naomi Osaka crashed out of the women's tennis tournament, and, even more shocking, Simone Biles twisted out of the women's gymnastics competition. Uh, those events compelled this reluctant and relatively lengthy follow-up. Uh, so please, uh, bear with me. Of course, things began with such promising, uh, perhaps even presumptuous hype. Osaka sealed her legacy as the face of these games when she lit the Olympic cauldron at the opening ceremony. She was the first competitor accorded this honor since Aboriginal icon Kathy Freeman did the same at the 2000 Sydney Olympics. From the Western perspective, however, Biles became the face of these games even before she set foot in Tokyo. And nothing sealed her legacy in this respect. Quite like Twitter launching a goat emoji in her likeness on the eve of opening ceremony. But... Given all the hype surrounding Osaka and Biles, you would have been forgiven the impression that their respective gold medal performances were a foregone conclusion. Nobody seemed concerned that Osaka barely had time to unpack after withdrawing in dramatic fashion from last month's French Open to seek help for mental health issues. And... Nobody seemed concerned that Biles barely had time to repair all the cracks that appeared in her usually invincible armor during last month's Olympic trials. Well, nobody that is except me. <laughs> With respect to Osaka, you are probably aware of the way Fox News retread Megyn Kelly bullied her on social media for appearing on the cover of Vogue and other glossy magazines when she was supposed to be getting treatment for her mental health. Osaka clapped back by informing Kelly that the photo shoots and interviews were conducted last year, long before her mental breakdown at the French Open. When I read about their spat, in the July 19 edition of the New York Post, I jumped to Osaka's defense in the comments section as follows. The way Naomi Osaka so easily owned Megan Kelly shows that Kelly has lost all professional integrity.
but if she has any personal integrity left, she would apologize to Osaka. After all, she clearly hurled mental abuse based on a false premise at a young woman who everyone knew was sensible enough to withdraw from public life to seek help for mental issues. Forget integrity. Have you no decency, Miss Kelly? At long last. End quote. With respect to Biles, well, we all know she's the goat. I just thought all the media hype was not only baiting clicks, but tempting fate. Yet, no less an authority than the New York Times gave credence to the hype by reporting that the emoji suits her well and befits her status. I commented on its July 22 report as follows. Boy, talk about being hyped up for a fall. Why couldn't those twits wait at least to see if she wins gold in the individual all around? Now I fear they may have jinxed her. End quote. Yet even I had no clue how sadly prophetic that would turn out to be. For her part, Osaka soon showed that euphoric jingoism is no substitute for mental preparedness. And so, almost in the wink of an eye, both women went from being the alternating face of these games to being just the talk of them. With respect to Osaka, that talk was far from sympathetic or supportive. The Japanese hailed her as a national icon after she lit the Olympic cauldron at the opening ceremony on July 23. Yet they wasted no time denouncing her as a mongrel interloper after she lost in the qualifying rounds on July 27. Their national betrayal provoked me to jump, again, to Osaka's defence, which I did at NPR on July 27, as follows. The proudly homogeneous Japanese are showing their true colours by trolling her with racist abuse, naturally. Japan's top male gymnast, who happens to be the reigning all-around world champion, fell and was eliminated in the qualifying events. Yet he is not being subjected to any kind of abuse. My heart goes out to Naomi, but she might want to consider using the last name of her Haitian father, Lionel Francois, and playing for Haiti if not the USA, going forward. End quote. With respect to Biles, that talk was so sympathetic and supportive 
it smacked of molly coddling. Nothing demonstrated this, quite like CNN sports reporter Christine Brennan, saying that the only thing even her fellow Olympians at tennis, swimming, and other venues wanted to talk about was their friendship with and support for Simone. Indeed, chances are that many of you took to social media to express your sympathy and support. I suppose because only people like Piers Morgan, who intentionally offend for attention, would do otherwise. As it happens, though, many of the social media twits who rushed to comfort Biles are the ones who rushed to inflict the wounds I am still nursing for warning them against jinxing her in the first place. <laughs> but nevertheless, I am going to risk opening those wounds by sharing a few of the comments I posted in real time as her mental breakdown dominated talk, not just in Tokyo, but around the world throughout these games. The breaking news that shocked the world on July 27 was that Simone Biles had suddenly withdrawn in the midst of the women's team competition. This was the first indication that the goat hype I warned about had in fact jinxed her. I commented on a report at the BBC as follows. Initial reports had Biles suffering a slight ankle injury, but reports now indicate that she had a mental breakdown. She needed a Naomi Osaka-like time out. <laughs> Alas, at the worst possible time. Still, it's fair to note that thriving under such pressure has a lot to do with becoming the goat in your sport. But while we are all bemoaning the pressure that forced Biles to withdraw, Please spare a thought for the North Korean Olympians, who know if they don't win gold, they will spend the rest of their lives doing hard time in coal mines. Get well, Simone. Soon. End quote. For the record, Team USA went on to win silver without her. But then came the breaking news that shocked the world again on July 28 that Biles had decided not to compete in the women's individual all-around competition. This unleashed a flood of reports on the purportedly unique and unprecedented pressure she was facing as a black woman. The most notable of all, perhaps naturally, was by black reporter Candace Buckner for the Washington Post, 
it was published under the empathetic headline, For Exceptional Black Women Like Biles, Greatness is Never Enough. Buckner's main point was that, unlike white female and male Olympians, Biles was always carrying the hopes and aspirations of an entire race on her shoulders. But while she was at it, Buckner could have added that every black person can relate to the pressure of feeling. They have to be at least three times better to be considered only as good as their white counterparts. Except that Buckner, and virtually everyone else defending Biles, gave short shrift to the trailblazing black women who made her rise possible. I mean, the way they were singing her praises, you'd never know that three-time Olympian Dominique Dawes was instrumental in helping Team USA win gold in the women's team competition at the 1996 Atlanta Olympics. And even more noteworthy, that Gabby Douglas pioneered at the 2012 London Olympics, what gained Biles so much fame at the 2016 Rio Olympics. Because, using Buckner's own standard, Gabby Douglas was the first black gymnast who carried the hopes and aspirations of an entire race on her shoulders as she led Team USA to gold in the women's team competition and then won the most coveted gold in all gymnastics for the individual all around. In other words, portraying Simone Biles as facing unique and unprecedented challenges in gymnastics is rather like portraying Will Smith as facing the same in Hollywood. <laughs> well, enter Denzel Washington, stage left, and Sidney Poitier, stage right. <laughs> but, to avoid the spectacle of black-on-black -black conflict, instead of commenting on Buckner's report at the Washington Post, I commented at the New York Post on July 28, as follows. I wish Osaka and Biles a speedy recovery but I am concerned that both wasted no time getting on social media to connect with their followers. I am not a psychologist, and I am too responsible to play one here. But the public record is replete with data showing a strong correlation between social media and deterioration in mental health. So, the first step towards recovery for them might be to take a break from social media. <laughs> that is, if they're not already too addicted, just as network designers intended users to be. End quote.
Of course, regular readers of my blog know that one of my abiding pet peeves is the pandemic of mental illness social media have caused. But even regular listeners here might recall my not-so-subtle indictment in this regard in the episode titled Social Media Sowing the Seeds of Our Own Destruction on October 18, 2020. Far more important, though, is that no less a bona fide goat than swimmer Michael Phelps was all over TV imploring the world to see the silver lining in Biles's mental breakdown. He spoke about the mental health issues that nearly choked away his repeat gold medal performances at the London and Rio Games. And he used his personal struggles to speak convincingly about the need for athletes to treat their minds for mental health with as much dedication as they trained their bodies for physical health. I commented on this aspect of Biles's unfolding saga at the New York Times on July 28 as follows. It is sad and incomprehensible in equal measure to see Biles, universally hailed as the GOAT, have a mental breakdown on the world's biggest stage like this. But the praise and adulation she's getting on social media platforms might be more rewarding at this point than chasing Olympic medals, given the risk of not standing on that gold medal platform. <laughs> End quote. Sure enough, Biles took to social media, ostensibly to thank her millions of friends, on July 29, as follows. The outpouring of love and support I've received has made me realise I'm more than my accomplishments and gymnastics, which I never truly believed before. <laughs> End quote. Except that, given the addiction I mentioned earlier, she was probably jonesing for that outpouring of love and support, which she clearly knew her followers would provide. As her post was breaking across all media, I commented at NPR as follows. Surely we all wish Biles a full and speedy recovery, but I wonder how her Facebook post will make her loving and supportive parents feel. After all, I suspect they tried all her life to make her believe she's more than her accomplishments and gymnastics. Yet, along come some fleeting posts from strangers on social media to do the trick? <laughs> Jeez. And call me crazy, but this seems like a retirement announcement. End quote.
Meanwhile, Biles' teammate Sunisa Lee went on to win gold in the women's individual all-around competition. I commented on her historic win at the BBC on July 29 as follows. I'm sure Biles is happy for her. But, just as there was no controlling the mental health issues that forced her to withdraw from competition, I suspect there is no controlling the remorse, if not the envy, she must be feeling in spades. Congratulations, Sunisa. Way to step up. End quote. But, if you happen to be browsing the comments section of the BBC around that time, you would have seen the arrows keyboard warriors were shooting at me in misguided defence of Biles. Most insisted that she is too accomplished to feel any remorse or envy, while others insisted that, as a non-Olympian, I had no standing even to comment. But, of course, if you know anything about comments sections, even of reputable news sites, you know that far too many people treat them like social networks or chat forums. Their reflexive and often ignorant insults were enough to turn me off. I mean, if you're going to insult me, be clever or at least witty about it. But it did not take long for me to realize that most people don't even bother to read the feature reports or articles before commenting. This is why I rarely reply to people who comment on my comments. As I disclosed in the podcast episode titled Online Comments and the Fate of Democracy on June 12, I am only commenting for a year-long SEO experiment as part of the 15th anniversary of my blog, The Opinions Journal. In this case, I replied as follows. Respectfully, none of you know that she is not feeling remorse or envy, just as I do not know that she is. But anyone who has competed in competitive sports, at any level, as I have, can relate to harboring those feelings, if they are sidelined, for whatever reason, only to see victory they believe would have been theirs, go to another, even a teammate. It's called competitive spirit. It's called being human. But, as I indicated in the very first line of my comment, it does not preclude being happy for the winner, especially if it's a teammate. End quote.
mind you, as I mentioned earlier, I think Biles was trying to convey from day one that, for whatever reason, she did not feel fit to compete at these Olympics, period. But she clearly went to dramatic extremes to do so when she leaked her videos of her flailing from the high bar and flopping down on heavily cushioned mats. In captions, she explained that she was still struggling and could barely tell when she's up or down. I commented at NBC on July 30 as follows. Staying off social media seems like the best thing Biles can do for her mental health. She does not owe her followers updates on, or perhaps more to the point, proof of her condition. So, if it's not addictive and misguided pursuit of love and support, why else would she be engaging keyboard critics in the midst of her bout with twisties? End quote. The world then awakened to the thoroughly anticlimactic news on August 1 that Biles had decided to withdraw from the penultimate event, the floor exercise, but it teased that she was holding off deciding whether to withdraw from the final one, the balance beam. I commented at the New York Times as follows. I love and support Simone as much as anyone, but I find all of this will-she-or-won't-she drama and suspense off-putting. After all, she reportedly told her teammates that twisties usually take at least two weeks to recover from, and she leaked those videos to prove she was still struggling. We get it. I'm on record saying on day one that withdrawing from the team competition the way she did signaled the end of these Olympics for Biles. So why delay this final balance beam decision? Especially given that, to perform to her standards, her routine would involve death-defying twisties there too. End quote. Well, I was wrong, and I'm quite happy to say so. First came the good news, that Jade Carey, who replaced Biles on floor exercise, won gold. Then came the better news, that Biles had recovered sufficiently to compete on balance beam. But the best news came on August 3, when she did well enough to win bronze. It was clearly not the five gold medals hyped for, but, all things considered, it turned out to be a somewhat redeeming end to her Olympic Games. Still, given all the hype, there is no denying the fateful irony that, on a heralded Team USA that won two gold, two silver, 
and two bronze medals, Biles was the goat who ended up with one bronze. Uh, meanwhile, you are probably aware of the series of pre-Olympic announcements the IOC made, warning athletes of severe consequences for staging political protests during these games. Yet, during the opening ceremony, no less, IOC President Thomas Bach himself took to the stage and asked the world to observe a moment of silence in remembrance of Covid victims, uh, okay, but of Israelis killed in a terrorist attack during the 1972 Munich Olympics? What was that all about? In any event, nobody took the IOC seriously, and rightly so. In fact, the only thing athletes would have found more laughable would have been the IOC warning of severe consequences for having sex during these games. <laughs> Indeed, the irony is that no less an athlete than Simone Biles, the face of these games, ended up staging what was arguably the biggest protest in Olympic history by withdrawing from competition the way she did. As it happens, though, she is not the first face of an Olympic Games to suffer this kind of mental breakdown. Arguably, Liu Jiang was even more the face of the 2008 Beijing Olympics than either Osaka or Biles was of the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. Yet, here is how I described his prelude to Biles in this respect. In 2008 Beijing Olympics, Liu Jiang comes up lame on August 19, 2008. And I quote, Easily the most dramatic moment of the day came when Liu Jiang China's only hope for a gold medal in track and field, pulled up lame in his first qualifying race of the men's 110 hurdles. He then hobbled out of the stadium without saying a word. In fact, television commentators observed that when this happened, you could hear a pin drop in the Olympic Stadium, which, as you can well imagine, was filled to capacity. After all, Jiang's gold medal in this race was to have been the crowning achievement of these games for over 1.3 billion Chinese. But, while Jiang's Olympic coach was utterly inconsolable, here is how his high school coach explained this national tragedy. And I quote within, I have experienced in the past the great pressure that government officials exert on the athletes as well as the coach, and that they demand a gold medal Otherwise, it is meaningless. 
Liu Jiang is still a younger boy, and he has been put under a bit too much expectation. End quote. Within. Indeed, call me cynical, but I believe Jiang decided it was better to claim injury, which was bound to evoke sympathy, than to lose this race, which was bound to incite ridicule. End quote. Like I said, a prelude to Biles, with thirteen years in previews. Family and friends will attest that no chat about these Olympics ends without me asking them to share their favourite moments. And so, here are five of my own. The first was watching Ahmed Afonawi of Tunisia win gold in the men's 400 freestyle. It was arguably the greatest upset victory and the greatest shock reaction since American Rulan Gardner defeated the Russian bear Alexander Karelin in wrestling at the 2000 Sydney Olympics. The second was watching Flora Duffy of Bermuda win gold in the women's triathlon. The commentators explained why, by continually marvelling throughout the race at how she managed to reach this level of success with no coach, no teammates, no sponsors and no government support. Of course, now that she's an Olympic champion, I suspect all of that will change, if she wants it to. I would say thanks but no thanks to the coach and government support, but would milk sponsors for all they're worth, and would welcome teammates to help grow the sport. The third was watching Elaine Thompson Hurrah of Jamaica lead her country's sweep in the women's 100, complete with her winking away Florence Griffith's joiners, 33-year-old Olympic record of 10.62 by clocking 10.61. But my Jamaican friends were not amused with the congratulations I offered at the Miami Herald on July 31, as follows. Usain who? <laughs> congratulations, Elaine. Uh, mind you, given Marion Jones's fall from grace, you have to think uneasy lies the head that wears this crown, no? <laughs> End quote. The fourth was reading about world number one tennis player Novak Djokovic of Serbia withdrawing from his mixed doubles match. This 
after having an Olympian meltdown during his bronze medal men's match. And yes, this is the same Jocko who went viral when he threw shade at Biles by saying that pressure is a privilege all real goats learn to deal with. <laughs> oh, karma, hypocrisy, and schadenfreude were all at play when I commented at the Wall Street Journal on July 31, as follows. Imagine that. It seems poor Novak threw out his shoulder while throwing a tantrum when he realized that, far from the gold medal everyone presumed was his, he would not even win bronze. Mind you, just days ago, the media were hailing him as the personification of Olympian Esprit de Corps. This, simply for leaving his luxury hotel and sauntering through the Olympic village, favouring fawning athletes from other countries with selfies along the way. But where Biles withdrawing evoked near-universal sympathy, I suspect Djokovic withdrawing will provoke near-universal contempt. End quote. Other fifth was watching Sidney McLaughlin of the United States win gold in the women's 400 hurdles in new Olympic and world record-setting times. I've been taking personal pride in her success, uh, one best friend removed, ever since she was in high school in New Jersey. And so, here's to her trusting the process to take her to even higher heights in her sport. Way to go, Sydney. Having shared those, I would forfeit my right to call myself a Bahamian if I did not at least acknowledge Stephen Gardner's gold medal performance in the men's 400. I am certainly happy for him and for our country, but there was nothing momentous about it. He did not set a new Olympic or world record, for example. And, while I'm at it, his teammate Shawnee Milohuibo seems poised to emulate him tomorrow in the women's 400. But, truth be told, I sang her praises beyond measure just weeks ago, in my episode marking our Independence Day on July 10. Besides, even if she defends her controversial win from the Rio Games, I would be loath to comment, because I would be too fixated on the Technicolor wigs she's been wearing for her races throughout these games. My mummy taught me, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. There is no denying that all the sympathetic and supportive talk surrounding Biles' mental breakdown at these games was rivaled 
by the begrudging and resentful silence surrounding Russia's doping ban. But USA swimmer Ryan Murphy broke that silence in dramatic fashion on day seven. He did it at a post-race press conference when he vented suspicions that the one Russian who had just beaten him in the men's 200 backstroke, as well as the two Russians who had beaten him days earlier in the men's 100 backstroke, all fueled their races on performance enhancing drugs. Of course, one can hardly blame him. After all, Russia was supposed to have been banned from these games. This because it willfully failed to show any evidence that it had stopped engaging in the state-sponsored doping which investigators found when it hosted the 2014 Sochi Olympics. Remarkably, kowtowing members of the IOC decided that a fitting punishment would be to ban any showing of the Russian flag or playing of the Russian national anthem at these Olympics. But they found a loophole that allowed Russia to still send over 300 athletes, provided they compete not as Russia, but as the Russian Olympic Committee. Country code R-O-C. You got that? <laughs> Unfriggin' believable. Unsurprisingly, the way Murphy called out the Russians went viral. I commented at The Guardian on July 30 as follows. Doped-up Russian Olympic athletes competing under a rebranded flag are still doped-up Russian Olympic athletes. This ban has been a patent farce from the outset. And no one is laughing more than these athletes and Vladimir Putin, their drug lord masquerading as president of Russia. They know they're still gaming the IOC and the World Anti-Doping Agency and getting away with it. Frankly, it could only have been lost on the useful idiots at the IOC that Russia designed its official uniform so that Russian athletes would look like they are draped in their banned national flag whenever they stand on the Olympic podium. That shows what utter contempt this increasingly rogue nation has, not just for the IOC, mind you, but for the whole international community. End quote. Anticipating the now familiar backlash, especially from Russian and Chinese trolls, I appended a link to a blog commentary in which I delineated the case against Russia, titled, In Putin's Russia, Even Athletics 
is a criminal doping enterprise. On November 9, 2015. Sure enough, the backlash came fast and furious. As I mentioned earlier though, I rarely see any point in replying. But I was exceedingly impressed that Igor Petrov took the trouble to plead his case, not only at the Guardian where I made my comment, but also through the contact feature on my blog. He quoted a report by the Russian news agency Novosti from April 16, which read as follows. The design of Russian sportswear for the Olympics was closed by the IOC in the spring. No complaints were received against Russia. The design of the uniform of the Russian national team for the Tokyo Olympics does not contradict the requirements, the IOC told the news agency. End quote. I replied on both forums as follows. You are making my point, Igor. Members of the IOC are pusillanimous pawns. Uh, but I hasten to clarify that I have nothing but love and respect for Russian athletes and the Russian people. I fully understand that, like former East German athletes, they are guinea pigs Putin is hell-bent on using to demonstrate neo-Soviet superiority. What's more, I suspect Russia's state-sponsored doping program is so sophisticated these days that some athletes don't even know they are being doped. End quote. Of course, totalitarian regimes have always seen international sports as a continuation of politics by other means. This is why their leaders have always sanctioned winning by any means necessary. And why, as Jiang's high school coach bemoaned, second place is meaningless to them. Apropos of which, I was moved to make the following comment at CNN on July 24 that China now trades with far more countries than the United States is a key indicator of its rise as a bona fide superpower. But China contends that it, and not the United States, will be the superpower of the 21st century. Perhaps a key indicator of that is that China ended day one of Olympic competition at the top of the medal count with four, including three gold, while the United States languished at the bottom with none. End quote. Well, as of this recording, 
at the end of day 13, on August 5, China is still at the top, with a total of 73 medals, including 33 gold. <laughs> Granted, most American sites would have you believe that the United States is at the top, with 89, but only 29 gold. Such are the lingering effects of Trumpism. Because, just as some in the American media cannot accept that Trump lost the presidency, some cannot accept that China is kicking America's ass in the medal count. For a little perspective, though, it might help to recall that the United States won the medal count at the last Olympics in Rio with a total of 121 medals, including 46 gold. China was third with 71 and only 26 gold. So you see, it would take Trumpian delusion or Chamberlainian naivete to fail to see where this is heading. I mean, there are only three days left to go. Indeed, nothing demonstrated this, quite like the way a qualifying heat for one of the signature events in track and field played out today. With the notable exception of Jamaica's boat ending interregnums, the United States has ruled the men's 4x100 relay. Yet it could place no better than a pedestrian sixth in a heat China won. The United States did not even make the final. But I suspect this is one event where, for China, failing to win gold will not be meaningless. After all, it has already defeated the only team that matters. Uh, that's it. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow me on Facebook and Instagram. If you'd like to contact me, I invite you to email anthonyhall279 at gmail.com or use the contact feature on my blog at www.ipjn.com. Thank you for listening and until the next Talking Eye Opinions, goodbye.